Hi, you're listening to Wimbledon, hosted by me, Nick Ray. Today's guest, today's guest is Ming Chen, and Ming Chen is the first person I met who was from EF, the company I worked for for 14 years. Uh, she's an absolute energy bomb, a tour de force within EF, uh, awesome woman, very, very smart, very, very driven. And uh, yeah, she's a great inspiration to me, um, had a lot of impact on my career. So uh, I'm very grateful to her and I hope you enjoy the conversation. She has some particularly interesting things to say about uh, trade-offs and trade-offs within career and things. Uh, so I think you'll enjoy that. Just a quick note, at the beginning of the conversation, her microphone is a bit and so I called her out on it and I think about 30 seconds in, we moved that. So if the start of the conversation annoys you, please don't let it. Um, uh, we fixed that problem and uh, I think it's great. Well, I hope it's great audio from then on. Uh, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, please listen at the end as well for a quick update. Um, we're going to be bringing out some new content for you. Uh, I say we because I've got a, a co-host guest I'm going to do some live streaming with. But anyway, enough of that for now. I'll leave you with that little teaser and pass you on to Ming Chen. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. Okay, hi, I'm with Ming Chen here. Uh, Ming is kind of famous on this podcast. I don't think she knows that, but uh, she's come up a few times uh, as one of the key people uh, for my life with EF, which was my previous life where I worked for 14 years. She was the very first person I met from EF uh, in person. And, uh, and yeah, she's really a, a huge, um, there's a huge amount of responsibility on her shoulders for me going along that amazing path with EF. So uh, firstly, thank you very much, Ming. Uh, and secondly, uh, I'm going to just get her to introduce herself. Um, so Ming, if I can throw it over to you and uh, just a bit about where you're from, uh, where you grew up, how you got to where you are now. Sure. Thanks, Nick. I'm glad that I met you way back when, when you were a student studying at INSEAD Business School in Singapore. And I was, I think, one of your first interviewers. Um, I'm glad that you joined us for a little while. But I'm at EF. I'm still at EF, where, Nick, you used to work. Um, EF Education First, which is the um, world's largest privately held international education company. Um, I think you've had a number of other EF guests. Um, my title is EF's Chief Culture Officer, which is really an honorific. Um, EF is about 50,000 staff, teachers, and part-time tour directors. Um, so it is you know, a nod towards the fact that we're family-owned and family-run. Um, and that, you know, as we grow very quickly with a global footprint and a presence in more than 100 countries, we need to look after the culture or the secret sauce that made, made EF EF. Um, where I'm from, I grew up in New Jersey. I was born in New York City. I'm an identical twin, and I have two brothers um, who grew up 26 miles outside of Manhattan. Um, I went to um, school in Boston and then joined EF, which has the North American headquarters in Boston as well. And then I moved out to Hong Kong. So I've only really lived in three places. I think, Nick, you said you lived in how many? Oh, a lot. I've lived in uh, 10, 10 countries now, but I've moved country 22 times. So. Oh, my gosh. OK, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've lived only in three cities. Um, Melbourne, New Jersey, which is not even a city, it's a suburb, um, Hong Kong and Boston. 
Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Ming, I'm going to do something weird. I, if you can move the mic slightly down because we're getting a p -p 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 sound. Oh, okay. You're yep. talking. Yeah, just because I, right. I, I know that that drives some people crazy. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, and so what about your your um, career and and where all the things you've done? I know I know there's a lot and probably people will have seen in the description uh, some other things. But uh, if you could just talk me through a little bit about your career and and uh, what you've done. Both so in EF and out of EF. <laughs> okay. Before I joined EF, I actually worked in media and television. Um, I moved out to Hong Kong right after college in 1992. Hong Kong was a very different place, um, but um, super fun. And Star TV was setting up a satellite television company, and Turner Broadcasting was setting up TNT and Cartoon Network. Um, my twin sister and I, I worked in marketing production, and my twin sister and I were hired to be presenters of the um, ill-fated children's channel, um, which is where I met Little Legs, who maybe you've had on the show. Angela, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, um, Angela. And then um, I worked in, so I was in television for four years, doing everything from helping acquire the Golden Harvest Film Library, which is where all of the Bruce Lee films are. Um, and then um, again, having our own children's show um, and not being an actress or considering myself anything of an actress. Um, and then I went to business school and then at business school, I came across or EF came across me um, and they were recruiting MBAs at that point um, to help the company expand and grow because we basically moved from you know family owned and operated to more professional management to exponential growth. So that's great. And I think it's important that we uh, we don't be too humble here, Ming, because it was Harvard Business School, which is the best in the world. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you went to NSCAP, which is always number one. So. Well, yeah, it's number one for me. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Harvard is pretty, pretty amazing school. And you've also uh, written some books as well. And you've also done some um, some things outside of, uh, of of work, which are pretty amazing, like like you're running. So why don't you tell us just a quick bit about those things? Okay, well, my twin sister and I always um, like to have a creative project going on. And so together, we've co-authored three um, children's books. One is called Sassville's New Shoes, another's Ling Ling Looked in the Mirror, and the latest one that came out this, um, this spring is called Escape, One Day We Had to Run. Um, and the uh, second thing that I do with my free time is I'm a compulsive runner. So I've done a lot of marathons. Uh, do you know how many? I think I'm I'm doing one in three weeks in Hong Kong, and I think that will be 72 or 73. I need to check my spreadsheet. <laughs> I have amazing. a spreadsheet. <laughs> okay, so then let's move over a bit towards talking about winning. So I think, uh, how, like you, you, we, we were having a brief chat before the the call, and uh, and you mentioned you had some feelings around the word win and and things. So if you can define, like, describe your philosophy around winning and a bit about what what it means to you. Right. Um, well, I was originally saying that winning is a little bit of a um, trigger word for many people because I think that it's binary. Right, you are either a winner or a loser. And I think in the world, or at least in my life, I don't think of the world like that. And if you look at the sports that I've chosen, you know, running is not a winning, like there's not a clear winner in a marathon. Oh, yes, it's the fastest person, but everybody who competes, you know, I know that the Boston and New York marathons have, you know, tens of thousands of people who compete, you know, all of them have their own finish line. So yeah. again, 
you know, win, I guess, is how you, you're saying you'd like to describe it as what game are you in? And I guess I'm in the game where there are multiple finish lines and yeah. multiple winners. I love that. Multiple finish lines is excellent. I, I, it's, uh, it's exactly right. I, as, as I said to you, that the sort of the idea behind the word win, actually, within win building and things, is to trigger a little bit because I think it is about your own wins. I, and that's what I mean. Like, it's either your own wins on a personal level or if you're a business your business wins, but it, it doesn't mean that you necessarily need to be the number one in the, in, in uh, every single field that's in the business or whatever. Um, okay, great. And, and you had some thoughts uh, in particular on, uh, on trade-offs. You said you were, you were interested to talk about trade-offs uh, and kind of how you fit them within sort of constructing your achievements and, and how you like what they mean to you. So uh, why don't you take me off of what, what about, trade-offs for you is is important and how do you how how are some of the trade-offs you've made in your life uh factors for you um well it really came up because um you know a lot of people mainly young women who enter the workforce and you know i went to business school i know a lot of my colleagues um dropped out of the workforce because they had to make too many trade-offs to stay mm. in the workforce and it was a really really um useful way for me to judge you know someone's talking about work-life balance that's always a buzzword mm. and uh, i remember um thinking well actually at ef there is no such thing as work-life balance because we choose to be here <laughs> we mm -hmm. work and then we have a life but i'm not we don't say you can't have a life while you're working so i was saying to um young women who i was talking to you know, who just graduated or who were thinking about their next career move, you know, you need to see your life as not trying to achieve this, you know, unheard of balance, but, mm -hmm. but really thinking about what are your trade-offs? Are mm -hmm. trade-offs are when one thing increases, something else decreases. And I have three children, I'm married. Um, and I worked at EF the entire time. My eldest, Emma, is 18 now. And I think that when you look at um, trade-offs, the currency of a trade-off is your time. So what am I doing with my time? You know, my trade-off when I had children was, do I like my job and my company? Do I believe it enough in what I'm doing to make that trade-off of not being home? And I said, yes, the trade-off is, it, it's a, I'm willing to trade off my time to be at work and not at home. Um, so I think that, you know, when you see the currency of being your time, it helps you think, you know, there is no balance. It's more just trade-offs and there are trade-offs in every decision that you make. Mm. That's, I love that. It's very interesting uh, to think about as well, especially, well, right now I'm in that zone, as you know, where I've got little people, very little people who take up pretty much every second of my outside of work time. But so I'm interested to know, like, how did you think that through when you were, you know, a, a new mum? uh and and relatively new i guess to ef or no hang on how long have you been in ef now it's a i've been here for a long time so 20, uh, i i guess i had emma after i'd worked at ef for maybe four years yeah no, okay. i got married after four years so maybe five years okay so um, how did you find and, that balance at that time because i'm sure as i i recognize your 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 point and especially for young women but i, I think a lot of men now as well are taking up more of the sort of parenting roles and, and it's becoming gradually a little more fair and equal in that sense right how do you how do you balance that uh, how, how do you how did you how did you make those decisions and and find that balance 
I think I have to caveat that I live in a city like you did where yeah. help, very good help is available for an yeah. affordable um, price. Yeah. Um, but caveating that, I think that, you know, um, lots of times um, you're given a choice of, oh, should I join this firm? Should I do this venture? Or do I strike it out on my own? And when I talk to people who are making those decisions, I'm like, well, you know, to your, your life changes over time. Everything happens to you. I joined EF as a single person. I, you joined right after business school. Your life was very different then. And then that's when I said, you know, you have to establish yourself um, and really recognize what you're willing to give up in order to, um, in order, what you're willing to give up or yeah. what you're willing to, again, trade. Um, and it's different for everybody. For yeah. instance, I'll give you a very simple example. Like people are like, oh my God, you run? How do you have time to run? I said, well, I trade off my sleep in order to run. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, and I think there's a, there's a big movement now about people getting up uh, very early in the morning to go and work out or to go and run and things. I've, I've been trying that myself, but uh, it's, uh, it's, <clears throat> it's a fine balance to find. It's, you've got to find the right time in the morning that doesn't completely break you. <laughs> so, but, but I think it's interesting when you say what you're willing to trade off. So when you talk about currency and time, I love that. I think what you're willing to trade off, but also what are the priorities for you right what what is it? because obviously if you if you want to prioritize your career and you're gaining certain status within a career or certain op opportunities then your willingness to trade off is going to be greater can you talk a little bit about motivations and and maybe uh, ambition or or sort of hunger in that sense mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, ambition and hunger, I guess, um, we would call it drive, Yeah. you know, I think that everyone's built with their own engine and the ability of them to drive. Like, I think I have a lot of mental endurance, which is how I have done 73 marathons. So I think that your ambition or drive comes from different places, you know, to run a marathon is probably pretty mental, um, more than physical in my, the way that I um, sort of approach it. Um, so, you know, success breeds success. I don't know whether Adam Grant had a wonderful quote, I'm totally going to get it wrong. But he said that, you know, too much time at work, versus too little time at work, the perfect balance is having time affluence, mm. right? Not having too much work, not having too little work, but really having, you know, feeling like you have enough time for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's um, I think it's really interesting. This 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 episode has probably become more around time because <clears throat> time is is such an important factor. And and as you said, with the currency, it is you get you get a certain amount of time. There's no way of yes sort of changing that. You have to section out your days and section out your 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 priorities and decide what what it is it's, that's worth more in your time. Um, Interestingly, we're going to try and keep this podcast short as well, to yeah. do, to, <laughs> which is Ming's using her time uh, very valuably here. So um, I'm just sparing. I'm sparing the uh, listener. For no, an hour. I think lot, <laughs> I think there'll be a lot of lot to learn from this. So it just to, to sort of think about um, then also around traits and qualities that you've seen. I mean, I, I know that you've seen a lot of very talented people come through EF, and, and there's still a lot of very talented people within EF. Um, and also obviously in your, your previous work life, what are the things that you think are particularly 
<clears throat> relevant or, or noticeable to you f that, that would indicate somebody likely to be someone who, who is achieving something incredible or something uh, you know worthwhile what are the traits and qualities that you see um well i know that what i've come to enormously respect is creative intelligence mm. so creative intelligence can come from you know design work um it can come from approaching a problem differently but i think creative intelligence is something that is rare and that um it's wonderful to see um, expressions of it might be, you know, things that you make or do, but it's also how you approach problems. Okay, and uh, how would you say, how would you say someone can recognize creative intelligence beyond just sort of, you know, seeing a nice piece of art or something like that, or, or, or seeing a good solution to a problem? Consistency, well, I guess, is 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 got to be something there as well. What? How would you? How would you? Let's put it this way: I had spent my whole education going to presumably one of the top schools, right, Harvard. Yeah. And you get out, and you're like, okay, those people are like academic smart. When yeah. you get to the real world, that is not what's going to help you <laughs> in life, <laughs> you know. And that's why I'm like the type of when I worked in um, television, I realized, oh, these people are so basically creative yeah. um this is where their smarts come from and this is why you know we have amazing shows or you know yeah it makes life richer yeah i think there are a lot of people who can do you know they say that technology will replace things like i don't mean to slam lawyers or accountants but that kind of work yeah, yeah um yeah. and that i think creative intelligence is the thing that's going to get you to the future I think you're probably right. I mean, I've talked quite a lot about, I'm, I'm a, as, as you know, I'm a bit of a nerd and I love future stuff. I, I've talked quite a bit about um, the, the idea that <clears throat> I think as, like you say, lawyers, for example, the work that they, a lot of the work that they do will become automatized and you know, there'll be robots or whatever, clever AI that's doing that for them. However, I think <clears throat> one of the key skills that young people should be focused on is interacting with other human beings and understanding how those interactions uh, work like change the world around them change the environment the dynamic around them um, because human to human connection that is where we have the ability to be creative to be innovative and and come up with new solutions to problems to new, to new ways in which we can experience life uh, better and and enhance things um, Although, if you think about it, the people who are really creative intelligence were basically misanthropes, right? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I think I think those those skills are are becoming more and more sort of uh, uh, they're becoming more and more relevant as we develop and enhance life, uh, and and in a, you know the technology becomes more and more. Um, ubiquitous i suppose <laughs> everywhere and uh, but but at the same time a lot of young people are not focused on those skills and those those skills are actually i would i would argue possibly declining as people get more addicted to their mobile phones and their technology they they become more insular the the social interaction isn't as um it, it, it's more it, it's it's being channeled through devices and channeled through a medium that perhaps they wouldn't normally have felt uh, is mm -hmm. right so so any advice for someone who's who may be creatively intelligent but early in life or earlier and not yet had a chance to sort of 
fulfill that and, and develop that intelligence? Any advice for those sort of people? Um, I love this quote of looking for what problem you're going to try to solve, mm. right? When you enter a new job or workplace, you're usually given tasks that you need to do. But if you can help solve or, you know, it's, people call it problem solving. You could also call it, you know, um, reading the future that gets you two steps ahead. Then, mm. then a creatively intelligent person will recognize it. Um, um, and Albert Einstein once said, or we attributed it to Albert Einstein, but that if you spend, you know, if you have one hour and you spend 59 minutes thinking about the problem and how you're gonna, what problem you're trying to solve and one minute coming up with the solution, um, that's how how problems get solved. Yeah. I, just... <laughs> so, uh, I actually have a joke. Uh, well, I don't, I, I, as I mentioned, my, I haven't ha got an editor for my book yet, but my very first uh, line of the book is a, is a quote from Albert Einstein, but then I quickly caveat it with, there's a lot of quotes from Albert Einstein that no one knows if he actually ever said it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> that might not have been actually. I'm, I'm glad you caveated it as well, but no, there, <laughs> I, I don't know either. But it, it, even when you search online, it's like, this is definitely Albert Einstein. You look, look a little deeper. It's like, actually, is it? <laughs> or has everyone that could be the case for this one. Everyone's just accepted it is. Listen, Ming, I am going to stick to your, to your uh, request and keep this as short and sweet as possible. I have had a real blast uh, talking to you so thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast it's amazing to have you here and to finally put a face to, uh, and, and a voice to the to the, the name that's come up a few times uh, you really did have a massive impact on uh, my life so and and I, as i've oh. said I, I maybe you haven't heard me say it but uh it, you're you were like a ball of energy in that interview room and i remember being quite nervous because obviously you know you're going for a job interview and it's a big deal and you want to present yourself best and I remember going remember it all very clearly and I walked in the room and just from the moment I met you it was like this energy bomb and I said to myself if if anyone else in EF is like this I want to work with these people so uh, <laughs> you really were <laughs> awesome nice. and uh, and I wish you the very best with your next marathon your 73rd or 74th whatever the excel says <laughs> and uh, and all the best with the uh, with your future as well so I'll put Thank a you link so to much. the books in in the description of this oh. uh, so that you that people can click and go and check out uh, Ming's books is there anything else you'd like to promote or to push forward or any last words of advice that you've got or thoughts no, yeah. I'd like to say hello to your wife, your beautiful wife, and your two kids. Okay, perfect. Well, they're not and here. Please right have now. some good Norwegian cheese for me. <laughs> okay, yes. Well, I will have that. Not the Brunos, though. That's horrible. That's not, in my <laughs> opinion, that's not good cheese, but there are some good ones. Okay, well, thank you so much, Ming, and uh, all the best. Thank you. Bye. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, as I said at the beginning, I'm, I give you a little teaser. We're gonna do some LinkedIn live streaming, we being me and a co-host of mine, a friend of mine uh, who's already been on the podcast, uh, and we're gonna bring in other guests as well. Um, I can only give you that at the moment, but we're gonna try and make it a regular weekly live podcast, live stream conversation uh, type of thing. Uh, we're having a couple of practice runs just to make sure we get it right for you guys. Um, but yeah, I'd love you to join me along on that, on that process. And if any of you are interested in being on the podcast, if you want to bring your story out to the public, then uh, I would love to share that. I'd love to have those conversations uh, about your thoughts on winning, your thoughts on building and constructing achievements and dreams. Um, finally, those of you who haven't yet done so, please do subscribe on YouTube. It really helps me out. Uh, so go to YouTube channel and subscribe to my channel and also subscribe to this um, podcast on whatever channels you're listening to it through. 
All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. See you next week.